Hey, it's Mark. Special episode coming your way with my top six conversations of 2022. We hope you've enjoyed the extensive lineup of HLTH podcasts we've been serving up over the last few weeks. I can't think of a better way to hear about the biggest digital health and innovation trends from some of the top names in the space than digital editor Jack O'Brien's fast-paced yet insightful interviews. Well, when it comes to picking favorite podcasts of the year, I feel like a father has been asked to name his favorite child. Can't. I love them all. But my paternal instincts are not so helpful when it comes to compiling year-end lists. So, here's a look at our top six favorite conversations from this past year. Why six? A lot of people have their top five lists. I'm doing my top six because, hey, why not? In addition to mine, my colleague Lesha Bushak will bring you a compilation of her own. 2022 was an eventful year for health policy, with major changes in issues from abortion access to drug pricing regulation. The changes we saw in the last year will have ripple effects well into 2023 and coming years. Today, I'll review four of the biggest moves in health policy in the last year. I'd also like to give a well-deserved shout-out to our friend at Sonic Branding firm Sizium Sohn who, besides composing the theme music to the podcast, have written some lovely variations on that theme expressly for this holiday edition. If you should happen to need Sonic Branding for a brand or project you're working on, be sure to give them a call. Link in the description below. And now, as you can hear, my voice is in, let's call it less than optimal shape, as I recover from about with the flu, and I record this up in my attic, safely away from everyone else. So I'm going to hand things off to my extremely capable colleague, Bill Fitzpatrick, Haymarket's head of podcasting, to take this the rest of the way. We hope you enjoy the list from myself and Lesha. We have a few other surprises in store for 2023, including getting some other members of the MMM team involved in the show on a more regular basis, and we're working to line up interviews on a number of intriguing topics of interest to pharma marketers. Thank you to Bill for the much-needed voiceover assistance. Happy holidays to you all, and we'll see you next year. Thank you, Mark. I think I speak for all of us here at MM&M and Haymarket Media when I say get well soon. Let's get to number six of Mark's top six conversations of 2022. Number six. The first conversation we'd like to recommend from this past year is our January 18th interview with Sari Kaganoff, head of consulting for Rock Health. It's very fitting that we started the year with this conversation and then ended it with all of the podcasts recorded at HLTH in Vegas. Because several of Jack's guests said the buzz of that show was how digital capabilities were finally being put to work and pulled through in healthcare after proving themselves during the pandemic. During our interview, Sari also noted how the events of the last two years were a proof point of sorts that digital health is here to stay. The buzz then, of course, was the white-hot market for digital health. The 23 digital health companies that went public via SPAC or IPO in 2021 and the $29 billion raised by U.S. digital health companies, which was almost double the amount raised in 2020. At a time when few people were questioning the existence of a digital health bubble and wondering how long the good times might last, Sari sounded one of the year's first notes of caution that valuations seemed high, possibly indicative of a correction. How would you characterize 2022, you know, in, in a few words? Yeah, so I think that, you know, that we've seen rapid growth in 2020 and 2021. However, where you, if you look at where the healthcare industry is in terms of becoming digital, we're not there yet. You know, there's still a lot of the things that we do are based on legacy systems, legacy processes. It's not the consumer experience you want to have. It's not seamless. So I would say there's still a lot of opportunity of room to grow and things to do. So I don't think it's a bubble in the sense of passing fad. I think there, we're in the middle of a transformation that just takes time and there's a lot more to do. 
I don't know if the valuation, like if the valuations or the funding dips a bit, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, but also if it doesn't, that'd be okay too. I think, you know, there can be bumps in the road and ups and downs, but I think we're on, we're focused on moving into, you know, making all of healthcare digital, right? And that's a journey that will take time, but we're not there in any way, shape or form. So it's definitely not a passing fad in my mind. The rest of 2022, as we know, didn't go so well as the digital health IPO, M&A and funding markets all cooled down amid a tough year for the stock market overall the Ukraine invasion, along with supply chain and energy disruptions. Sorry's context that digital transformations take time is helpful here. Number five. The next intriguing conversation on this list is our February 15th interview with Joel Burvel. His videos highlighting racial bias in medicine have not only garnered millions of individual views, they've tackled decades-old disparities and led to systemic change. One that we discussed on this podcast was the mounting evidence that pulse oximeters produce flawed readings in non-white patients. It's been known for decades that the fingertip devices can render faulty readings in patients with skin pigmentation. But the impact on patient care was thought to be negligible. Here's Joel speaking about how his TikTok on racial disparities in pulse oximeter readings and the overwhelming feedback it got helped him to find his voice as a content creator, producing videos that not only highlight racial biases in medicine, but also have the potential to lead to meaningful improvements. I really started to do a deep dive into just different associations and kind of comments like this that can lead to disparities in healthcare and why disparities in healthcare exist. In medical school, we don't often get a lot of that uh, education, especially when it comes to more uh, minute or undercover areas. So I was on Instagram one day. And one of my friends had posted a story, just a screenshot of an article um, about pulse oximeters, which is these devices that go in your finger and measure your blood oxygen saturation level. And I remember seeing that, and, and it said that Black patients have a higher likelihood of it misreading on their skin. And I never learned about this. We had just finished up our pulmonology unit, but I'd never heard anything talked about. We'd learned about pulse oximeters. We learned about spirometry. We'd never talked about how there's a disparity in there. I began to wonder where the other places in medicine where these disparities exist, but we're just not talking about it. And so that was the first video I made on my TikTok channel that was more not kind of the memes content, but more of a serious content that could actually talk to people about disparities that exist. And I posted a video about the pulse oximeter, explained it in 30 seconds. And the amount of comments I was getting from physicians and nurses and medical students and PA students was incredible. People saying, I've never heard of this before. How can this exist? And like, I'd never learned about it. And then also simultaneously, patients who had been using pulse oximeters saying things like, you know, I've had shortness of breath. I've gone to the hospital. It's red normal. And someone's told me, hey, your oxygen saturation is normal. And so you're not having any shortness of breath. And patients were saying, I feel seen knowing that this data is out there and knowing that maybe that was the reason why it didn't read on me, that I'm someone who it was overestimating and actually had shortness of breath, but it wasn't picking up on him. So after seeing those, that kind of feedback and how people were saying, I hadn't gotten this information. I said, you know, why don't I make a series out of this um, called Racial Biases in Medicine and dive into different ways that even though the medical system is moving forward, that we're still complicit in keeping, um, in keeping kind of disparities alive or things that are overlooked. And that's what I've dedicated my page to. And it's been extremely fascinating finding the ways and the ties between what I'm learning right now and the ways that medical students still needs to improve. Amid a growing body of evidence demonstrating these differences in pulse oximeters, in November, outside advisors to the FDA reached a consensus that the devices are less accurate for people with darker skin. 
although the panel split over recommendations for how to limit these inaccuracies in the future. The consensus set the stage for the agency to further scrutinize manufacturing standards for the devices. Number four. Another talk that we think is worth a re-listen was April's podcast with Dr. Stephen Clasco. Dr. Clasco, how are you doing today? Great. It's really, uh, it's really great to be on. Dr. Clasco, former president, CEO of Thomas Jefferson University and Jefferson Health, and now executive in residence at VC firm General Catalyst, also happens to be a pretty keen observer of what works and doesn't work in healthcare marketing. Here he is sharing some keys to adapting healthcare marketing to the new era of care anywhere and to patients' increasingly digital lifestyle, describing the importance of forging a pre-existing relationship with people as consumers first and sick people second, and taking your healthcare brand out to any address. You bring up a really seminal point, and that is, you know, the thing that made Google come out of the you know, the, the many, 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 many search engines. You know, again, I'm, I'm an old guy. So I remember SGs and CompuServe and all those was that they didn't want to be a search engine. They wanted to be the first place you go on your computer. You know, you similar with Amazon. It wasn't just, we're selling you books. We, we just always want you to get on Amazon. You know, if you came to my office uh, before I left the CEO on December 1st, you would have seen like a little sign says, you know, when Elon Musk brings people from Mars, you know, to Philadelphia 10 years from now and says, where's Jefferson? I hope you can't define that. You know, I hope you'd say, well, you mean Jefferson on my phone or Jefferson's partnership with Comcast or Jefferson's partnership with Novartis or Jefferson, you know, over at my barbershop or Jefferson in 12 micro hospitals. Oh, the place where really, 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 really sick people go. I think that's still at, at 10th and, and, and Walnut. Right now, when you think about how ridiculous it is, we, we define every health system in New York or Philadelphia or Los Angeles or any place by where we failed. You know, we are located at the place where we couldn't prevent you from having cancer. And now you're having uh, surgery. You know, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So what I what I tell folks and what I tell folks in, in, in my marketing shop and others, I want to be Target and Walmart, because when Amazon disrupted that industry, there were some folks that said, oh, my God, nobody's ever going to a store again. You know, you think Circuit City, they went all E, but they couldn't compete with uh, Amazon. Then you had the, the, you know, Sears and Penny saying, what a stupid fad. People love parking 10 miles away the day after Thanksgiving and fighting over cabbage patch tiles. So, you know, we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. But Target and Walmart said, you know, we're damn good at what we do, but we also have to be just as good at that. So in one case, they bought an e-company. In one case, they, they started one. And, you know, that's how I look at it. If you have pancreatic cancer surgery, when I was a, when I was the CEO of Jefferson, we had one of the top pancreatic cancer surgeons in the country. I don't think you cared what our digital strategy is, how big our TV was, or what the food was. You wanted to see that doctor. By the same token, to your point, I made a big deal to my faculty. Let, let's not treat patients. Let's go after the 97% of people in Philadelphia that don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm a patient. They wake up in the morning and say, I'm a person, might have diabetes, might have congestive heart failure, might have cancer, but I'm a person that would love to be able to thrive without health getting in the way. And, and Mark, my new world gets that very well. You think about Lavongo that became an $18.5 billion company. By just saying diabetics, Steve can only view you as a patient. You know, come to my uh, urgent care center, come to my office, come to my ER, come to my hospital. I'll be your invisible friend at home. And when you, I'll partner with Steve, if you need one of those folks, we'll do that. But hopefully you won't need that. I'll just make it so easy for you to live with your diabetes. 
Mm-hmm. So, so for me, what I would tell any anybody, whether in the pharma space, fair space, stop, stop literally having those of us in places like General Catalyst create companies that literally you could do. Right. I mean, when you right. think about telehealth, you know, we created American Well and Teladoc with our patients and our doctors, but they became 20, 30 billion dollar companies by creating the interface between our patients and our doctors. Hmm. Why didn't we hire somebody, you know, to, to be the interface between our patients and our doctors? You know, and so to me, I think in order for us to survive, we're going to, have to take that Target and Walmart philosophy of we want to take our brand out to any address. That's why I like the healthcare at any address. During a subsequent fireside chat he gave at MMM Spring Conference, Dr. Clasco predicted that healthcare in 2032 figures to feature much more of the segmentation and personalized messaging of the type employed by Target and Walmart. But marketers will likely need to navigate a few changes in policy designed to protect consumer data if privacy watchdogs like the Federal Trade Commission have their way in coming years. Health Policy Update with Lesha Bouchak. Perhaps the biggest health policy event in 2022 was the overturning of Roe v. Wade and its ripple effects on everything from the midterm elections to reproductive health companies. In June 2022, the Supreme Court overturned the landmark Roe v. Wade, removing the constitutional right to abortion. Abortion has since been banned in about 13 states, including Alabama and Texas, and restricted to some extent in others. But the ruling also had effects on the pharma industry, particularly companies that focus on contraception and reproductive health. And those impacts are likely to continue playing out in 2023. The next biggest health policy move of 2022 was the historic drug pricing regulation included in the Inflation Reduction Act. That legislation gave the federal government the ability to negotiate Medicare prices for certain expensive drugs starting in 2026. And it capped out-of-pocket prescription costs for people on Medicare at $2,000 starting in 2025. Still, there's much work left to be done on the drug costs front. One provision that would cap the price of insulin at $35 per month didn't make it into the final package. And HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra noted this year that the government plans to eventually look into other price reduction options. With 2022 also came a shift in the pandemic mentality and COVID-19 policies. While the emergency phase isn't quite over, it may as well be for all intents and purposes. Chalk it up to COVID fatigue or lack of money. Renewed COVID-19 aid funding was dropped from the government funding bill in March, and Congress hasn't approved any new money since. Biden casually declared the pandemic over, and the federal government has begun preparing for the end of the public health emergency. That means it will stop purchasing vaccines, treatments, and tests to distribute to the public, and the pandemic will move into its endemic phase. Finally, 2022 brought an even greater spotlight on mental health as a public health issue. Several lawmakers introduced mental health bills this year, aiming to ease the mental health workforce shortage in schools and areas of need. Mental health will likely continue to be a policy priority for lawmakers moving into 2023. I'm Lesha Bouchak, senior reporter at MMM. Welcome back to the top six. Number three. Three. Next on our list of favorite conversations from 2022, we fast forward from spring to midsummer. 
when we welcome to the show Adam Richardoni, Global Head of Self-Care R&D at Johnson & Johnson Consumer Health. This interview touched on a number of relevant themes, namely the need to refresh older health brands and how 70-year-old Tylenol brand embraced a beyond-the-pill strategy. Our conversation also tied into the growing trend towards self-care. Think the societal shift from reactive to proactive healthcare and consumers wanting to know more about and have more control over their personal health, which grew during the pandemic. Here's Adam explaining the reasons for taking Tylenol Digital, not through an app, which some might consider the classic beyond-the-pill strategy, but by launching a digital ear scope called SmartCheck, an at-home ear infection detection device which turns almost any iPhone into an otoscope. For us, it's, it's really about understanding that continuum of care and that patient journey that they go through. So looking at, at conditions, targeted conditions, uh, special need consumers that we, we work with and really understanding their needs as they're managing their condition on a day-to-day basis. So if I use the example, say, of an osteoarthritis sufferer, um, and that's a, a target that that Tylenol knows well. You know, they're they're looking for information around diet and what how diet impacts their condition. They're looking at the role that exercise can play in helping them manage their condition. They're looking at the role that sleep can play. Um, and so it's being able to use digital offerings and services to really create that ecosystem around the consumer with consumer at the center but allowing them to access information in a timely manner. As I said about your personalized information, information that recognizes them as an individual, and that's what also digital can help provide. But it's also ensuring that the healthcare professional is part of that ecosystem as well. Um, And linking, and like SmartCheck from Children's Tylenol, being able to link the consumer and the healthcare professional in a timely manner. Um, for us as a company, these digital offerings also provide a feedback mechanism by which we can glean insights either from a consumer or a healthcare professional, and that can help also inform our future innovation programs. Um, and we also know that consumers are looking for trusted solutions. Trust um, and value for money is one of these big trends that also emerged through the pandemic. So for an iconic and trusted brand like Tylenol, it really is a perfect opportunity for us to bring this digital solution like SmartCheck to market. When it comes to an iconic and trusted brand like Tylenol, going beyond the pill takes on a new meaning. We'd love to know whether J&J found that its SmartCheck device actually strengthened the brand's relationship with consumers. Adam, if you're listening, maybe a follow-up podcast is in order. Send me or mark an email. Number two. One of the year's biggest health stories was September's FDA rule allowing some hearing aids to be sold over the counter. The prospect of more companies being able to enter the hearing aid marketplace, dramatically increasing competition and innovation in a stagnant hearing aid market, and driving down costs, gave this a strong patient angle. We were pitched on having any number of experts discuss the impact of the new rule, but we decided to go with Blake Cadwell founder and CEO of online marketplace Soundly, to join us to discuss the impact on device manufacturers and other players. Blake's point of view was informed by the fact that he doesn't just run a hearing aid marketplace. He's been a customer himself, given the fact that he has hereditary hearing loss and has shopped for hearing aid products. So he was well familiar with the process and displayed a thorough knowledge with all the players in that industry. 
Here's Blake talking about how he feels the new rule, which removes the requirement of a hearing care provider, often an audiologist as the mandated intermediary, could impact consumers. The landscape today is a little different than it was in 2020, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot a lot more about that. But um, historically, the way folks who need hearing aids would have accessed the industry is they would look up a local provider in their phone book or on Yelp. Uh, they would go to that local provider the care, you know, audiologist or hearing professional would would take a hearing test and would offer them a couple of products, all a fairly contained and localized process. What's changed over the last handful of years is that consumers are more and more interested in doing research up front. And so now you start to see consumers doing a lot of research, finding the brands or products they're the most interested in, and then trying to pair themselves with care that is appropriate. You're also seeing a rise of brands going direct to consumer or attempting to go direct to consumer. And the new FDA ruling that you mentioned was going to make that a whole whole lot easier. So today, 95% or so go to a local clinic. That number will probably come down over time. Hey, right. So, you know, before Soundly, you did have uh, some other DTC distribution channels, but not many. Of course, you have Costco, which I think is the second largest provider of hearing aids in the U.S. after the Veterans Affairs Administration. But do you think that your experience was similar to the typical uh, consumer experience of finding hearing aids? And how do you think the rule change will, will improve on that? I do. I think many consumers, especially those who are a little bit younger or maybe earlier in their process, are increasingly wanting to research ahead of getting care. You know, I know in my experience, the notion of going to a local clinic and sort of signing up for a process where I would only see a couple of products at the end and I wasn't aware of the prices up front. You know, that's an important element here is you don't know the price when you go to a local clinic. Um you know, that was intimidating for me and it wasn't, didn't fit my style and how I like to purchase most things in my life. I like to be pretty researched when I purchase cars or technology. And similarly, I wanted to do that research up front. I think a lot of consumers share that sentiment. And I think ultimately the shift is towards more informed consumers. Now, in terms of how the landscape changes, there are significant changes that we'll all experience as the over-the-counter ruling becomes finalized in October. And I think the biggest ones are entry-level products or products for mild to moderate hearing loss will become available more broadly direct to consumers. So you'll see them in places like Best Buy. You might see them in, in other retail environments, even drugstores potentially, and then certainly online. And so folks can easily access care without having to go through the medical process, which gives them all that information up front and allows them to enter into the space with a lower barrier. And I think that's really what gets a lot of folks excited is that instead of waiting, the average is, is 10 years, you know, people may begin to access care more quickly and ultimately they may graduate to a more prescription level care, but it gets them in the door. We are down to the final conversation on our favorites list. Number one. This one had it all. A famous athlete talking about her struggles with depression. A tie-in to one of the biggest themes out there, the destigmatization of mental health treatment and the patient angle writ large. I'm speaking, of course, about our conversation in October with Allison Schmidt. And the four-time Olympic swimmer and 10-time Olympic medalist did not disappoint. She reflected back to 2015 when her cousin April Boshian took her own life just a week after turning 17. As Allison recounted, at that time she was also experiencing a downward spiral herself 
and experiencing depression, but not acknowledging that she was in a mental health crisis. April's suicide spurred Schmidt's decision to speak out. She now helps educate others on the importance of mental wellness, calling for more structured post-Olympic mental health support for athletes. Lest anyone think that our athletes are properly cared for in the mental health area, they're not, she said. It is glorious. <laughs> it is a great time, um, but I was not prepared. And I think that's something that, as an organization, uh, the USOPC has to prepare us for. And that's, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And I believe that every athlete's story that is coming out and telling their story is helping move that needle, uh, move the needle of having a negative uh, connotation on mental health to a more positive um, outlook on mental health. Stories can only go so far, though, and we need change. I wish that, personally, I knew the answer to what that change looked like. Um, I have actually am going back to school so that I can make that step for change, but ultimately... We need organizations to step up and make that change. Um, I know with a lot of athletes speaking out, uh, sports organizations are saying that they are giving help. But from my experience of finishing this past Olympics, I am going through that grieving process of coming down from a high and being out of the sport. It's not easy and there was not support given to me that the media thinks is given to Olympic athletes. This is not just a problem for athletes. Women were more likely than men to report needing mental health services in the past two years, but 40% did not seek treatment and 10% were unable to get help despite trying. That's according to a Kaiser Family Foundation brief released just this past month. And you didn't have to be an athlete to be inspired by this interview. Mental health is something that many of us struggle with on an ongoing basis, whether we care to admit it or not, including a number of people in our own medical marketing industry. Here's Allison talking about a simple thing that each of us can do to make a difference for those suffering from these challenges. I believe we need to have more resources and more more resources and less judgmental views on the topic. Um, less judgmental views come from allowing yourself to be vulnerable, but also allowing space for other people to be vulnerable without having the judgmental glasses on. Um, especially the younger generation. Um, people love to talk. Humans love to talk. Humans look for connection. And I believe that as we grow older and as we get more into our careers and there's more going on with life, we get stuck in the hustle and bustle of everyday life and forget to truly ask someone how they're doing. And I know that there's a lot of times people run by and instead of saying hi, you're just like, hey, how are you doing? They're not really caring how you're doing and they're keeping, they're still walking. Um, but if you're able to set aside two or three minutes of your time and truly ask someone and be invested in their answer of how they're doing, 
speaks volumes and allows another human being to feel that connection and feel more like they're a human rather than a robot walking around with a smile on their face. I don't know how anyone, especially healthcare marketers, can hear this woman's story and not be moved by her resilience. A worthy recipient of the 2022 MM&M Platinum Award, indeed. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the MM&M Podcast. On behalf of Mark and everyone at MM&M, we wish you a very happy new year. See you in 2023.